Well, my name is Justin Craig. I am the family minister here at Windsor Road, and uh, you're stuck with me this week uh, because Randy uh, is uh, celebrating with his family. His youngest son, Brandon, graduated from college this last weekend, and so they are celebrating together. So you're stuck with me, and Randy said, I want you to just share what's been on your heart. And I said, that's a dangerous road to go down. But that's what's going to happen this morning. I'm going to talk about being unqualified and being okay with it. Now, I don't know about you, but there's always been times in my life where I feel unqualified for something. And when I was talking about this topic with my wife, she said, well, is there ever a time where you feel overqualified? And I'm like, well, actually, there was a job interview once at Family Video, that, and they're like, you're too overqualified. And, and she's like, really? And I'm like, what does that mean? I mean, her immediate response, really? It's just like, thanks for the, you know, confidence, little pat on the back. I appreciate it. But there are all, there, we all have times in our lives that we are unqualified, that we feel unqualified. And I will never forget our one-year anniversary. Stephanie and I were, were taking a weekend. We were scrounging up the last amount of money we had, and we were going we to uh, uh, stay in a hotel room uh, up in Galena at Eagle Ridge Resort. Beautiful resort. Scrounged up our last $200 and, and, and sent it up there for them to have and do whatever they wanted with. And we, uh, we couldn't have felt more unqualified as we enter the parking lot because we pull in in one of these. That's right. That is a 1995 Pontiac Grand Am. Now at this point, that car was 12 years old. And this is not the actual picture of the car because my car had a ginormous dent on the side of it and it was running a little rough. This actually looks pretty nice except for that dent above that fender there. But anyway, ours was not uh, good. Uh, it did not run great. We were happy it made the hills of Galena, which aren't that big. Uh, but it was just running a little rough. I guess you could call this a hoopty. Okay, this is a hoopty mobile. And we pull into the parking lot, and we are parking, going down the aisle next to the Cadillac. Feeling good about myself. Then there's the BMW. Then there's the Mercedes-Benz with the two-door and the, and the convertible because they don't have kids. And it's just like, this is, this is terrible, right? I mean, I've never felt more unqualified. We're not even in the door yet. So here come two 22-year-olds. We're getting checked in and everything. We get to our room, and it's beautiful, just a beautiful room. Okay, you walk in. There's this giant bathroom straight in front of you, and it's got this huge soaker jacuzzi tub, and I'm like, that's cool. That's so great. And then we go into the other room, and I'm like a kid in a candy store because I'm just so excited that I can afford to stay here for one night. Okay, so we get into the room, and there's like, there's like this huge brick fireplace over here, big screen TV over here, big king-size bed, and we were poor, so we slept in a twin bed. So this was a, quite an upgrade. It was awesome. And so we, we were just really excited about this. So we, we set our stuff down. We went out for a nice, nice bite to eat at Wendy's. Um, what? You guys don't like, don't pretend you don't like Wendy's, okay? Their chicken nuggets are awesome, Okay. But we go out to some Wendy's or someplace like that, and we get our food, we eat, we come back to the hotel, and I'm like, you know what? You deserve a bath. I'm going to draw you a bath, okay? So you stay here, you draw, I'm going to draw you a bath, and then I'm going to come in, and I'm going to watch the baseball game because I thought the Cubbies were on, okay? So we, I go into the bathroom, and I'm like, you know what makes a bath great? Bubbles. Bubbles are so much fun. And so I'm like, let's find some bubble bath. No bubble bath. No bubble bath in the fancy hotel. So I'm like, what's next? Shampoo. 
right? Because shampoo's the best thing. So I did you know, a little dollop in there, and it makes a little foam pit at the bottom by the, by the faucet. And I'm like, well, that's not going to do. So what do I, I squeeze the whole thing into the bathtub and like swirl it around trying to get it going. So finally the bathtub fills up, and I push on the jets. I come out. I'm like, hey, it's all ready. I'm going to watch the game. She's like, oh, great. She goes into the bathroom and starts laughing and giggling like a child. And I'm like, are you all right? She's like, you have got to come see this. So keep in mind, I'm trying to play the smooth card, and that card does not exist in my deck, all right? So I, uh, I'm trying to, trying to figure this out. It's just not happening. So I come in. There are four feet of bubbles in over the bathtub. And I'm like, well, that's not what you want. Because you can't even see the tub anymore, right? They're starting to overflow. And so, so we do the drain thing. And we start patting them down. We start getting them all down and everything. And I'm like, well, this is a great start to this weekend getaway. Awesome. Then the next time, you know, we, we, we get done with the bath. And, you know, I go in and I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to light a fire. Let's, let's do a fire, right? Nice big fireplace in there. Let's do the fire. That would be nice. That would be so comfy and cozy. It was not. Okay, so, so what happens? We go in, we get the fireplace open, we get it all ready and everything. We get like the Dura Flame log, you know, and unwrap it and throw it in there. We're so excited. We're starting to light it. And all of a sudden, there's moths everywhere in our room. And I'm like, oh, I bet I left the patio door open. I go over, patio door's closed. I'm like, what in the world? And they're coming out of the fireplace. You see, moths are surprised in Illinois when someone tries to build a fire in August. And so they were coming out to surprise us the same way we surprised them. And so now they are all over our room. So light a nice fire turns into kill the moth. So we were trying to kill these moths. And I'm not talking like the ones that hang out by your front light at your house. I'm talking about birds, all right? These things are huge. And they are massive. They, look, I feel a little bad because it looks like we're killing the monarchs. As they're, but they're not. They're moths. They're terrible. They're evil. So we're trying to kill them. It turns into a game of who can kill the most moths. Finally, we are exhausted. We are done. And it's like... I don't even care about the fire. I don't care about the game. Let's go to sleep. I just want to lay down for a little bit. Okay, this has been a very traumatic day for me. I can't, I can't add up in the parking lot. I can't, you know, provide a nice bath for my wife. I can't, I can't do a fire. What is going on here? Let's just lay down. Pull open the covers. Moths are in our bed. And I'm like, excellent. Great. And so it's like a kill it and then sweep it out of the room. It looks like a massacre in here. Like moths have been killed all over the place. It was a great, great weekend. Now the next day, we actually went mountain biking and my chain fell off. And I'm like, I can't even ride a bicycle. What is the matter with me? It was terrible. Life will not always be perfect. There will be hiccups. There will be times of inadequacy. And at one point or another, I know we have all felt unqualified for something. Maybe you didn't have a bathtub tell you that you were unqualified, but maybe it was a boss. Maybe it was a friend, a close friend. Maybe it was somebody in your family. Maybe it was your spouse or your former spouse. Maybe it was your parents as you were growing up. Maybe it is you as a parent. You feel unqualified. Maybe your kids have gone out of their way to tell you that you are unqualified. You see, we all secretly fight the feelings of inadequacy, insufficiency, and incompetence. And we wonder if we will ever measure up. We fear that we are not enough. And maybe, maybe, we go, maybe we go to the extent of maybe it's a crack in my character. Maybe there is something wrong with who I am. Maybe it's some sins that are in my life, right? Maybe, maybe it's the lust or the anger or the addictions or the greed. Maybe it's all of these things in my life. Or maybe it's the past, right? Maybe it is our past and we are afraid at some point our inadequacies of yesterday will impact the qualifications of ours for tomorrow. I know we have all asked the question of what if I fail? Whether you are starting a new journey 
or you're simply starting a new project at home, what happens if I fail? You see, sometimes our failures or the fear of failing will be so loud that we cannot hear new opportunities. And sometimes our self-doubt will sabotage our success before we even get out of the gate. We tend to avoid our weaknesses at all costs with the fear of not appearing strong. But what if I told you this morning, told you, told you that I wholeheartedly believe that what God leaves out is just as important as what he puts in. And I want to be clear about what we're talking about this morning. There is a big difference between weaknesses and sins. Weaknesses, weaknesses are the things in our lives that God leaves out so that we will rely on him. Sins are the things in our lives that we add in so that we will rely on ourselves. This morning we are talking about our weaknesses. And we're going to look at that in the story of Moses, the calling of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. If you have your Bibles or you have an app or if you want to just look up here on the screen, uh, chapters 3 and 4 and you are thinking he's going to read chapters 3 and 4. We're going to be here forever, but we're just going to hit some highlights. Now Moses, up to this point, till we find him in chapter 3, okay, Moses was born a Hebrew, an Israelite, but he was raised in Egypt by Pharaoh and his family. One day he sees an Egyptian not being so kind to an Israelite. He goes over and he kills the Egyptian. Now he's a murderer. He's scared of what's going to happen next, so he flees to Midian. Finds a man named Jethro and decides to come be his shepherd. Moses is now a shepherd and, and herding sheep. He's actually herding them, as we pick up here in chapter 3, across the desert to come to, to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. All of a sudden, if you've ever been in VBS, you know this part, but you've seen the burning bush. Moses sees this bush that is on fire, but it's not burning up. So he approaches it, and all of a sudden, God starts speaking to him. God starts speaking to him and says, I see how the Israelites are being oppressed. And God speaks in, in chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. He says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. You see, first Moses questions his qualifications. He says, well, who am I? And kind of rightfully so, right? Because the only thing that Israelites might know about Moses is one, that he was, he was an Israelite but raised as an Egyptian, which could have given him the name tag of traitor. The next thing that they know is that he has committed murder, and the last thing is, is that he is a wanted man for this murder that he committed. So Moses' question of, well, who am I, kind of seems a little more reasonable at this point. And God replies back with, I will be with you. You see, Moses had a broken and mangled and distant relationship with God. But God called him anyway. Because God is in the business of mending what is broken, straightening what is mangled, and drawing close what is distant. And here the outcast is chosen to bring God's special people out of Egypt. And I love this, that God knew, God had to have known before even talking with Moses, that this task was going to push him past his own strengths. 
That the task was going to push Moses through his weaknesses and arrive at total dependence on God. Let's keep reading in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And then God displays over the next eight verses how God is going to infiltrate his plan through Moses. Now, I don't know about you, but when I've ever felt called by God, I've never gotten the playbook. I've only gotten a, well, go here, and then I'll tell you what to do. And then go here. Sometimes I don't even get to go here. But Moses gets the entire playbook here. God says, here's what you're to do. Here's what you are to do. Go to the Israelites, tell them the plan. Okay. Then I want you to go to the elders of the Israelites, and I want you to tell them the plan. And then I want you to go with the elders of the Israelites to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him that he needs to let my people go. And then God says to Moses, he says, now I know, I know that Pharaoh is not going to let you go. So at this point, I I will stretch out my hand. I will perform some wonders, and then he will let you go. These wonders are what we call the ten plagues, and they are a few chapters later. So Moses gets the entire story, the entire playbook, and then we get to chapter 4, verse 1, and Moses answered, what if they don't believe me? Or they don't listen to me, and they say, the Lord did not appear to you. See here, Moses questions God a little bit. He says, what if they don't believe me? I mean, this is a nice plan, Lord, but, but what if they don't believe me? What if they don't get it? What if they don't understand And although Moses' question is valid from his point of view, he still seems to be fixated on his role in God's plan more than on what God will do through him. See, Moses is concerned not whether Pharaoh will recognize his authority, but whether the Israelites will or not. And again, after this question, God reveals another plan. He says, here's some things to help you. He's like, what's what's in your hand? He goes, well, a a rod, I'm, I'm a shepherd. He's like, throw it down on the ground. Throws it on the ground, becomes a snake. Moses is a little terrified, and God says, why don't you pick that snake up by its tail? And I don't know about you, but that seems like a dangerous thing. Moses grabs the snake by its tail, and and it becomes a rod again. He's like, wow, that's pretty good, God. What else you got? Now, this is the Justin International version of this story and how it plays out. But Moses, being the question asker, figured this might be a little accurate. God, what else do you have in store for me? Because, I mean, that's, that's pretty good, but... It's not awesome. Like, I mean, that's, that's cool, but it's not, you know, it's not awesome. I need something that can help me prove that you have spoken to me. And so God says, I want you to put your hand inside your cloak. Put your hand inside your shirt and then pull it out, and it's got a terrible skin disease on it. Biblical scholars have argued that this is not just some plain old leprosy that Moses would have known about. No, no, no. This is a new skin disease that he would have never seen before. He becomes a little scared. God says, put it back in your cloak, comes back out, and it's clean again. Like, wow, God, that was was pretty cool. You know, that was was pretty good. He's like, but what if Pharaoh doesn't believe me? He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some water from the Nile River, their only source in their entire town, in the entire Egypt region, the Nile River. I want you to take something from their sacred source, and I want you to pour the water on the ground, and it will become blood. God, again, lays out his entire plan. You see, God does not call the qualified. 
Who God is fills in the blanks of who we are not. We see miracles every day, but do we have our eyes open? Let's finish our scripture in chapter 4, verse, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. God becomes angry with Moses at this point. He says, you know what, fine. I'll send Aaron with you. You're going. I'm sending Aaron with you. Aaron can speak well and, well, he's your brother, so he should be fine with that. You see, Moses questions his abilities and God equips him. You see, God knew Moses was building up his own weaknesses or finding excuses, so God equipped him with his words and his brother because God will not send us into battle that we are not prepared for. So I believe that there are three major ideas that we can grasp from our text this morning. The first one is this. Our weaknesses do not limit us, but whether or not we rely on God does. Exodus 3, 9 through 12, Moses asked the question of, who am I? Who am I that I should be leading this group out of Egypt? And God's reply is, I will be with you. You see, when God calls us to do something, he isn't calling us to watch as we fail. But he is calling us because he believes in us, weaknesses and all. This is, this is something that's just kind of been weighing on me since March, something I've been kind of struggling through. But God knows that my greatest enemy is my inner me telling me that I can't. I don't know how many opportunities I've missed because I think that I can't. You see, God didn't create us to do, but he created us to trust that he will do through us. And our reliance on God can only exist in a world of total abandonment of ourselves and total confidence in Jesus. I love this quote. It's a great quote. Because of Christ's finished work, Christians already possess the approval, the love, the, the security, the freedom, the meaning, the purpose, the protection, the new beginning, the cleansing, the forgiveness, the righteousness, and the rescue that we intensely long for and in fact look for in a thousand things other than Jesus every day. You see, because of Jesus, the work we cannot do is already done for us. And when we rely on the only one who is worthy of our trust, life becomes different and our weaknesses no longer hold us back. I don't know about you, but I really resonate with, with Moses. When, when God calls me to do something new, I resonate with him and I think about him because he asked the question, well, who am I? And God is saying to him, it does not matter who you are or who you are not because I am with you. So our weaknesses do not limit us, but whether or not we rely on God does. The next idea I feel like we can, we can bring out of this scripture is that just like Moses, we focus too much on the me instead of the he. Exodus 4.1, Moses asked the question of what if they don't believe me? And God answers through a series of miracles to not just help Moses extinguish the unbelief of the Israelites and Pharaoh, but also to extinguish the unbelief of Moses himself. You see, we all have some trust issues, don't we? 
We've all had someone in our life that has completely let us down. We can all relate to Moses here when he needs a little bit of proof that God can and that God will. I remember when I was in high school, we were taking a trip as a youth group, and uh, we were heading out to Colorado. They had promised whitewater rafting, so I was in automatically because that's awesome. And then they had promised, you know, some rock climbing and backpacking and camping, and I'm like, those all sound like fun things. You know, I like pretending that I'm homeless for a little while, so let's do that. That sounds great. And so we get out there and everything, but they didn't tell us that the, the, the mountain that we were climbing was also the one that we were rappelling down. And me and Heights at that point did not get along. I was not a roller coaster person until I was forced on them by my family. Uh, and I was, I was definitely not a back down the mountain with a piece of rope holding on to you kind of person because those people tend to be a little crazy. And so we get there. We get to the site where we're going to be climbing the mountain, and we're climbing, and, and, and I, I love climbing, and I'm act, I, I was actually pretty good at it. So I didn't feel too bad about, you know, climbing up to the top and everything. I got up to the top, and I'm like, where's the escalator? I'm going to need the escalator down, please, because backing down a mountain is not on my bucket list, and I certainly don't want to meet my bucket before I have to, okay? So here's what I'm going to need is I'm going to, you know, what, what's the other way out? He's like, well, you got to put that harness on. I'm like, okay, but I've, what do I do? He's like, well, you're going to go back down the mountain. I'm like, oh, I climb back down? He's like, sort of. And so, like, I, I get up there, and everybody's kind of watching because I was hesitant, and, and I started doing this last, okay? So everybody's watching, including my girlfriend, who is now my wife, and her friends. And I can't have my girlfriend and her friends going, wow, he's kind of a wimp. You know, he had to be helped down in that basket. That's ridiculous. You know, I, I couldn't have my reputation at stake at all. So I get up there, got my harness. I'm like, hey, woo, you know, flexing everything, giving them flexing everything. And then I turn around and I start quizzing the kid that seems to be letting me down off the mountain. And I start just going into this whole, this whole thing of, of questions of what, you know, how, how, how old is that rope? Seems like a valid question, right? What's the heaviest person you've ever let down the mountain? Are they, were they okay? You know, what's, how does that work? You know, how, you know uh, how long have you been doing this? Tell me about yourself, Timmy. How's it going? Yeah, oh, you're mountain man. Awesome, you've got a beard. That's great. You don't look very strong. If I fall, are you going to be able to catch me? Are you sure I can do this? What happens if I bash my face on the side of the mountain? How quickly does it take an ambulance to get here? And, and hey, Timmy, if it's so safe, why'd you bring the first aid kit down there, huh? Just wondering, just wondering, just wondering, because it, it's pretty big too. So is that going to help me if I die? It's got paddles in it, because that'd be cool. Eventually, I get locked in, wave goodbye to the last guy I'll ever see. I step over the mountain, and it was awesome. It was so cool. Once I knew that I was on safe, I was fine. And I love getting, getting down to the bottom of it, and I'm like, that was great. Can I do that again? They're like, actually, we got to go. And I'm like, oh, man. But I was so excited about that. But it made me think that a lack of trust compels us to ask a lot of questions. A lack of trust compels us to ask a lot of questions. You see, trust is built over a time-filled relationship. Moses' questions were directed at his own abilities. Too often we pretend that the story is about us. We pretend that we are the heroes of the story, and we pretend that God lays out the plan for our success, our victory, and our glory. We think that the belief in me is more important than the belief in he. Again, something that I've been wrestling with. God won't bless who we pretend to be. And this kind of pressure to pretend and perform 
doesn't come from the giver of every good and perfect gift. Ephesians 3.20, I love this verse because it just reminds me of how tiny I really am. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And it made me think of this question right here. How can we begin to think that we are in control of a story that we can't even think of or imagine? Stephen Furtick is a pastor at a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, Elevation Church, and I got to hear him speak this last March. And he was talking about this process of, of, of focusing too much on the me rather than on the he. And he says this, I thought this was just very interesting. When we focus on the me, we set our own limitations. See, Moses was all focused on, on him, and what if they don't believe me? Who am I? never been eloquent in speech. Moses was focused on the me rather than the he. So our weaknesses do not limit us, but whether or not we rely on God does. We focus too much on the me instead of the he. And the third thing that I believe that we can gather out of this text this morning is that confidence follows control. When we lack control, we lack confidence. I know this isn't just for me here. I know that the Lord did not tell me to write that down because it's just for me. When we lack control, we lack confidence. Moses sees the end of this coming and he knows that the Lord is going to push him to do this. And so he says, but God, I've never really been eloquent in speech. Did you notice that when I read that before, that that was the word I enunciated the most because I didn't want to you know, mess up the word eloquent. That would have been kind of dumb. He says, I've never been eloquent in speech. And God answers, I will teach you what to say. See, it's made me think that it's impossible to multiply what God didn't give me in the first place. And our weaknesses are not necessarily linked to our unhappiness, so perfection is not the cure. We automatically jump into a fix-it mentality. If we find out that we are weak somewhere, then we need to find out how we can become stronger in that. This last uh, couple months ago, our staff went through the Strengths Finder assessment, which is really tough to say. Patricia Simpson, one of our guest service gurus out there, facilitated the conversation with us. We took like an 80-question quiz and kind of rated our, our strengths, and we only got the top five. I wanted the whole list because I wanted to see, hey, what is the worst thing that I'm, you know, what, where do I sit at the bottom of the totem pole? And I know where I sit at the top because I got the top five, but where do I sit at the bottom? And so I asked her the Sunday after that we, that we did the assessment, I said, I said, hey, so how come we don't get the full list? Is there any way I could get my hands on that? And she goes, no, we don't, we don't, always, we don't ever hand that out. I said, why? Because I was curious. And she said this. It's not about working on your weaknesses, but building up your strengths. You see, our weaknesses force us to rely on someone who is greater than ourselves. Ephesians 5.17, Paul writes, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, there's a lot of times that I try and, I try and substitute my will for the Lord's will, and I end up looking foolish or I end up trying to substitute one of, my, one of my weaknesses for the Lord's strength, and I end, up, I end up feeling a little foolish. Because there are times that I will make a foolish decision based on what my will is, instead of being wise in what the Lord's will is. And when we lack control, and then confidence, and we begin to feel unqualified, we think that we have to fix this immediately. Instead of embracing these inadequacies and realizing what God leaves out is just as important as what he puts in, sometimes it causes us to have an identity crisis. 
We bury our true selves, our true identities, because we are afraid that we won't measure up. We live scared that if we let the real us show that there is no chance that we will be good enough. And then we start to play the comparison game. I play this better than probably most of us, but we should compare sometime. Come on, guys, that was funny. But I tend to play the comparison game so much. I just went to a conference a couple weeks ago with our family ministry team, and I really wasn't interested in making new friends. Uh, because one, everybody lies at conferences. They all are like, my church is the worst church ever, and it's really not that bad. You just want out, okay? The second thing is, is that you're like, well, my church, you know, really we're running like 970, but I'm going to say we're running 2,000, you know, because that sounds better. And so I'm not interested in making false relationships with other people that I will never see again. And I didn't want to start playing the comparison game. I get so caught up in that. I've been caught up in that in, in this church of playing the comparison game. And when we play the game of comparison, we are not just comparing who has better stuff, but essentially who is better. And this leads to having a lesser view of who God created us to be. And so I do believe that what God leaves out is just as important as what he puts in. Because if we were strong in everything, if we were powerful in everything, if we were perfect in everything, then there would be no need for a God or for a Savior. You see, Jesus was sent because we lack strength. Jesus was sent because we lack power. Jesus was sent because we are imperfect. We have sin. We have constant struggles. So why do we pretend that they don't exist? When we lack control and then we lack confidence and we feel unqualified, do we run to Jesus or do we run to our sin? So how do we become okay with not being okay? How do we become okay with not being okay? The first thing I think is that we have to be okay with God being okay for us. You see, we can no longer be afraid of what others think about the ways that God pieced us together or the ways that God didn't piece us together because he fills in the gaps. And this is something that, that has been, again, sitting on my chest like a bad cold that won't go away that we have to stop pursuing the perfect us that we let others define and start pursuing the imperfect you that God designed. You see, the Christian life is far more than perfecting ourselves. Perfectionism is the enemy of progress. The impossibility of our perfection is the very reason that Jesus came. The belief that God is more interested in our perfection than our relationship with him is the birthplace of insecurity. Because when we always reach for perfection, we will always fall short. But when we constantly reach for Jesus, we will always fall into his hands. I think of the story of Peter walking on the water to Jesus. And if he had tried to struggle to get out of that himself, he probably would have drowned. But instead, recognizing his weakness, he calls out to God. Calls out to Jesus and Jesus pulls him. And they get into the boat together. You see, God's relationship with us is a relationship of waiting for him. And it's, it's, not to, it's not that God is waiting for us to be perfect. God is not waiting for us to read our Bibles every day. God is not waiting for us to come to church every Sunday and every Wednesday and be involved and wear a blue shirt because blue shirts are the best. Don't let Janice tell you otherwise. 
But it's not about being perfect. God is not waiting for us to arrive at some place. God is waiting for us to kneel in front of him and say, I need you. We don't have to have all of our stuff together before we go and approach the Father. He's there to take care of that with us. We have to find the perfection in Jesus because having everything riding on ourselves leads to despair. And having everything riding on Jesus leads to deliverance. And it's a deliverance from our past that leads to a God-designed future. We have to believe and know that we are going to be not the perfect parent. We have to be okay with not being the perfect spouse. We have to realize that we won't be the perfect son or daughter. We won't be the perfect brother or sister. We won't be the perfect employee. Sorry, Randy. But this is important that our weaknesses are not excuses to live in the prison of our present condition. We can't simply say, sorry, honey, I didn't give the kids a bath. Just part of my weaknesses, which is the truth in our house. I end up more wet than they do. I don't understand. Sorry, kids, I I yelled at you again today for the seventh time in eight minutes. That's just who I am. That's who God made me. Just part of my weaknesses. No. That's not good weakness management. You see, we are not allowed to pawn our weaknesses off on anyone else but God. Because God gave them to us so God can take the argument back and forth about them. We have to be okay with not being okay. We have to start by... By being okay with God being okay for us. The next thing is that we have to frame the future through the Father's eyes. A.W. Tozer writes, What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because who God is fills in for who we are not. Christian is not the definition of a perfect me, but it's the definition of the messier me that is born again through the risen blood of Jesus. See, life is not about my performance. It's not about my perfection. It's not about my percentage of right over wrong. But it's about Jesus' performance. It's about Jesus' perfection. It's about Jesus' percentage of winning the war over sin. Life is a relationship with Christ, walking with Christ, knowing Christ, following Christ, listening to Christ. If we're going to be okay with not being okay, we have to live in the perfection of Jesus. We have to sit at his feet And be drawn to him because he holds on to things that we never will. And so I was thinking about what are some practical ways that we can work on this this week. That we can work on being okay with our weaknesses. The first one's very simple. I want you to pick one area of your life this coming week and completely rely on God with it. And this needs to be a weakness for you. Find that weakness that just seems to keep holding you down. You think you're going up and then this weakness drags you down a little bit. It's like, man, I just can't follow through with that. Now, you will hear a lot of preachers stand up on a stage and say, God wants all of you. God wants every single portion of you and your soul, every single portion of your life. And that is 100% true because God is a jealous God and God wants all of you. But that is an awful place to start. It's a terrifying place to start. So I'm asking us to pick one this week. Maybe, maybe you have, maybe you're like me and you've got some fitness goals from January 2011 that you are just not happy with right now. And it's like, what is going on? I work out like once a week. I mean, come on. 
Maybe you've got some family goals for this summer and it's something that's just kind of, kind of weighing you down. Maybe you're going on a, on a mission trip with your family or maybe you were going on family vacation. You're trying to come up with some plans so that your kids have a great summer and you just can't nail something down. You can't commit to something. You can't work out something for your kids to enjoy and for you to enjoy. I know it sounds silly, but go to the Father with it. Maybe for you it's your relationship with your spouse or your family. Maybe there's a lot of weakness there. You see, because we all have weakness, but when we get together, there's a lot of weakness in the room. We're really good at hiding that too. Maybe you need to pray about your school. Maybe you need to pray about your work. Maybe you need to pray about your neighbors. Maybe you need to pray and spend time with the Lord about conflict with friends. But whatever it is, and get this, this is important. I want to say it slow because I had 12 people ask me after first service, what did I say? Whatever it is, you cannot come complain your way to results. You have to spend time with the one who offers results. So pick one area of your life this week and allow the Lord in so that he can make a difference in your weakness. The second thing, second and final thing, is that we want to focus the story of your week on Jesus. See, the story is not about the me. It's about he. Again, I read this verse earlier, but it's so good. Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. When we understand what the Lord's will is to have a relationship with us, our weaknesses become his strengths. And our strengths become more powerful through him. See, we have to realize that God left out is just as important as what he put in. 